I wanted to teach on today is, is kind of a, a prelude uh, or interlude to next week, again, about the distance Jesus came from heaven to earth. And so this week I was um, praying about what God had me to share, and I wanted to just share about heaven. Uh, like, what is that? What is heaven? That, that thing that we talk about, that place that we long for, and uh, it's going to tie in nicely with next week as well, the distance that Jesus came. So this is kind of a part one of it. And uh, the question that I wanted to propose to open up is... Um, um, you know, if if this life really is all we have, being a, a broken people, living on a broken earth, the pain, the suffering, the struggle, everything that we face on this earth, if that's really um, all we have to look forward to, then then what really is the purpose of life? And this is one of the big questions that, that fundamentally all humans wrestle with is, you know, who am I? Where did I come from? Where am I going? And it's interesting. We're all born kind of wondering those questions and asking those questions. And if I were to ask that today, you know, what, where do you think you're going? What, what do you think happens after death? Do you believe that, that there is a heaven? Some people would say, yes, I, I do believe in heaven. And some people would say, no, that they don't believe in heaven. And wherever you are on the spectrum, I'm, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you'd be willing to sit through and, and listen to what we believe the Bible teaches about heaven. But even people who profess that they don't believe in heaven, I would say deep down, the very fact that you wrestle with that question, the very fact that we as humans are able to think through and wonder and wrestle with the idea, man, what happens after I die, for me, is, is evidence that, that there is something beyond this life, that, that there is more to hope in after this life. And in fact, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 does tell us that he, God, has placed eternity in the hearts of man. So when God created man in his own image, he made us longing for eternity. He created us with this, this deep down uh, thought or desire for something beyond just the here and now. I like the way C.S. Lewis put it. He said, heaven is the remote music that we are born remembering. So, so even as a kid, it's weird. You, as I can remember as a kid laying in bed some nights and just kind of wondering, you know, what, what was out there? What, what happens after this life? And it's something that we all kind of wrestle with. And so that's the first question is, you know, do we believe in heaven? Do we believe it's a real place? And the second question is, if, if I were to ask you, do you want to go to heaven? If heaven is a real place and you ask someone, would you want to go there? Most people, a lot more people would say, I would want to go there if it is real than people who actually believe in it. So the majority of people, I would say, probably 99% would say, if heaven is real, yes, I do want to go there. But the reality is, most people who say that they want to go to heaven have probably never actually thought through what heaven actually is. And so a lot of people have this idea of heaven in their mind of uh, just, just maybe what they've been taught or what they've heard or what they've thought. And the reality is, a lot of people who think they would want to go to heaven actually wouldn't enjoy heaven, which is an interesting concept. And so I want to share with you guys uh, from the Bible, from the scripture, what is heaven like? Uh, Truths about heaven. And then I also want to deconstruct some myths as to why we kind of have these ideas of heaven that I don't think are grounded in the scripture. So I first want to share a few heaven truths and then deconstruct some heaven myths as well. So number one, if you're taking notes, and this is foundational for understanding heaven and, and kind of shows where we've got off track as well. Heaven is not just a place. Heaven is a person. 
it, it's the person of Jesus. And really, heaven, as we see in scripture, it's the environment where God's glory is fully manifest through the person of Jesus. So we've separated the idea of heaven and Jesus, but that's not a, a biblical concept at all. Heaven, again, is, is where Jesus is. That's what makes heaven heaven. It says in Isaiah 61, verse 1, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne. It says in Mark chapter 16, verse 19, so then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. So heaven is currently right now where Jesus is seated on his throne, ruling and reigning. And then I want you to look at Revelation 21, where I had you open. Verse one through four, it says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with Man, He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eye and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. So revelation clearly teaches us that at the recreation of, of heaven and earth, at the climax of time as we know it, the second coming of Jesus, heaven, it says, is a place where God will come and dwell with man. He says, behold, God will be among his people. He will dwell among his people. And so this is the first concept. We really need to understand that heaven is more about a person, the person of Jesus, than it is a place. It's the place where Jesus himself dwells with his people and his people people delight themselves in his presence for all eternity. And so the reality is, if you don't enjoy right now on earth the, the presence of God and, and in a relationship with God, the reality is you actually wouldn't enjoy heaven. Heaven is about being in the presence of God. It's about being where Jesus is. And if we don't delight in that now, we, we somehow have came up with this idea that when you die, maybe your de desires or affections are going to change. That, that when you were there, then you would want to be there. But that, that's not actually biblical at all. And so, again, we would not enjoy heaven if it was not something that we enjoy now. We would not enjoy the presence of God then if it's not something that we enjoy now. And it's fun because everyone assumes I would want to go to heaven. Everyone assumes I would want to be there. But again, we need to understand that the idea of heaven is centered around the person of Jesus. And so we kind of have to ask ourselves the question, is that something that I desire? Is that something that I delight in here and now? Uh, which is a good indicator as to whether or not we even would be able to enjoy heaven as it is. I love what J.C. Ryle said about this. He said, what would an unsanctified person do in heaven if by chance they got there? Let that question be fairly looked in the face and fairly answered. No man can be happy in a place where he is not in his element and where all around him is not satisfying to his tastes, habits, and character. When an eagle is happy in an iron cage, when a sheep is happy in water, when an owl is happy in the blaze of noonday sun, when a fish is happy on dry land, then and not till then 
will I admit that an unsanctified person could ever be happy in heaven. So again, he, he, he brings up this idea as well that if it's not what we're used to now, if it's not what we're delighting ourselves into now, it's not something that we would be able to joy, enjoy at that point of time either. And so the question for us to wrestle with is what on earth are you delighting yourself in now? What is it on this earth that you are finding the most joy in and the most satisfaction in? What is it on earth that you go to uh, in those times where you're struggling with anxiety or depression or in your most difficult of days? What is it that gives you joy? What is it that gives you hope? Whatever, what is it that gives you peace? What is it that make you fe- makes you feel love? And if it's not the person of Jesus himself, then again, heaven would, would not be a place that you would actually be able to enjoy. It's the presence of Jesus. It's the love of Jesus. It's the comfort of Jesus that overwhelms what heaven is all about. So number one, it's not just a place, it's a person. It's about Jesus himself. Number two, uh, uh, heaven is an eternal state. And we saw this in Revelation 21 again, verse four, it says that death shall be no more. Now, if you think about this, this is an idea which is really hard for us to fully wrap our minds around. In fact, we can't because we all had a beginning, a point in time in which we were created. So to, to try and wrap your mind around eternity, that when we die, that we actually will live somewhere else for all eternity, that, that's a, an interesting thought to try and wrap our mind around. And if you think about it, the more you think about it, you wonder, what am I going to do? Like, what would I do for, for all eternity long? Seems like, man, like you, you might just get bored over time. Like the fact that it's forever, that there is no end. It seems like, man, what would it, what would it be like? And there's that old hymn that uh, some of you may be familiar with that goes, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. You may have sang that and you got to think about the lyrics there. When we've been there in heaven 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. If you think about that, you got to ask yourself the question, how could that really be true? Like after 10,000 years, like it just keeps on going. And for me personally, I kind of wrestle with that idea. Like, man, it seems like if it just goes on forever, if heaven really is this eternal state, it would just kind of, you know, get boring over time. And so how can we really enjoy heaven and enjoy the presence of Jesus forever? How does that work? What, what is that like? And the answer is God himself, Jesus Christ, is an infinite God. Although we were created, God is infinite, which means he can be infinitely enjoyed. So it's because he's eternal in his nature, in his character. It's because he's infinite that us being with him and being in his presence for all eternity, his presence is really inexhaustible. His character is endlessly deep. It's unsearchable. It's inexhaustible. We will never be able to fully understand and fully comprehend the fullness of really all of God's attributes for all eternity. We will be discovering and and learning more and enjoying that relationship. Some of you guys may have been married 30, 40, 50 years. Even when you spend your entire life with the person on earth, you don't fully know them. And and, and we have a a sense in which we can be fully known. God, though, who's eternal, his attributes and his nature and his character, it's inexhaustible. He never can be fully known. And I want you to imagine for, for just a second, really, 
the, the most what we think uh, infinite thing in all the world. And that would be uh, just honestly the universe. Like when we think about the universe, I want to make a comparison here. The universe seems for us to, to, to be infinite and endless. There's literally trillions and trillions of stars. There's billions of spinning galaxies, all of which are magnificent and vast and mysterious. And yet it's interesting from the beginning of all time, since humans have been on the earth, we've been trying to chart the universe, just, just the galaxies. We've been trying to explore the vastness of the heavens and chart the stars and planets and other galaxies. And we have only begun to scratch the surface. Like for the entire history of mankind, what we know about the universe is, is so minuscule. And it's interesting. I was actually watching on Netflix last night um, a documentary about the Voyager, which it's actually like one of the coolest documentaries, even though I fell asleep for like 10 minutes in the middle. But still, you have to check it out. It's actually amazing. So I don't know if you know about the Voyager, but it's this like, space shuttle that NASA created in the 70s. They launched it into space in 1977 to, go, to just continue to go forever, to take pictures of all the planets and everything that we'd never seen. Well, Voyager travels at the speed of 11 miles per hour, which is 39,600 miles per hour. So every single hour, Voyager goes almost 40,000 miles. So they sent it up in 1977. It just starts going, going. It gets to Jupiter. It gets to Venus. It, gets, it takes pictures of all the planets. Well, they actually said it wasn't until 2012, so 35 years it took this Voyager space shuttle to get to the edge of just our solar system, to get out of our solar system and, and into what we from that point know as unknown space had been uncharted territory 35 years to leave our one tiny solar system which is one in the midst of billions of different solar systems and the distance it traveled was 7 billion 440 million miles over 35 years traveling almost 40,000 miles an hour so think about this we, we sent that up in the 70s and that's the farthest we've known that's the farthest we've been able to see as far as space that took us 35 years to just get to the end of one solar system out of billions. So as far as us trying to comprehend, like just our galaxy and the universe, for us, like we've been trying to do that for all human history and have just been able to scratch the surface. And when you compare really the universe, which is finite, which the universe itself was created by the infinite God, when you compare the universe, which we've been trying to discover forever and still don't even really know anything about. When you compare that with the infinite God who created that universe, who created galaxies, who created the stars and solar system, it falls utterly short to really the infinite nature of God himself. Uh, the, the depths and the height and the length and the breadth of who God is, the person of Jesus. Man, we could go for thousands, literally thousands and thousands of years trying to discover in heaven the fullness of who God is and his character and his love and his grace and his mercy and we'll just be scratching the surface 10,000 20,000 for all eternity we'll, we'll continue to learn and know who he is and each one of his attributes uh, stands really as a never-ending infinite universe for us to be able to delight in and enjoy and learn and discover which is amazing when, when we're in heaven you're going to be learning just about how much God actually loves you millions of years and you still won't even know because of how infinite his love is. Millions of years you're going to be learning about his mercy and how merciful he is and we'll still just be barely scratching the surface. So God is not going to be concerned with 
how to keep us entertained for all eternity. Again, heaven is an eternal place. Because he is eternal, because he is infinite, we will grow and delight ourselves in his presence and grow in our knowledge of him in the same way that you do in any human relationship. Again, Jesus is a human. He's a person. And when we're there in his presence for all eternity, it's going to be the most beautiful relationship as we just continue to learn of his mercy, his power, his wisdom, his kindness, really for all eternity long. So these, these are a couple key components and key truths as to what heaven is. It's an eternal place and it's a place where Jesus resides. It's a, it's a, it's a person, the person of Jesus. I want to share as well now just a few misunderstandings about heaven. These are misconceptions that, that our culture has bought into, uh, again, which are not true things about heaven. The first one, um, maybe kind of a joke, but it's actually real as well. Again, misunderstandings about heaven. Number one, some people believe heaven is a place where naked babies fly around with wings and play harps and shoot bow and arrows at you. Like we have like, if you watch any cartoons or whatever, you know, like maybe it was Looney Tunes or whatever, like this is what heaven is pictured as and I don't know who started the idea of like yeah let's pretend heaven's a place with like naked babies playing harps that sounds more like hell to me honestly like I'm just gonna be real like if that's what heaven is like naked babies playing harps and shooting arrows count me out bro like I'm, I'm not about that right some of you guys I'm just gonna call you out some of you guys got like the angel baby on top of your Christmas tree that ain't real. You know, I'm just, I'm just going to say that ain't real. Get a star or get something else. I don't know who invented this idea of heaven. Like, dude, let's teach people. It's about babies shooting people and stuff. It's like, yeah, that's a good, no, like that. If you look throughout the entire scriptures, you, you never see anything about that. So if maybe some of you were like, yeah, I actually don't want to be there because that's what it is. And I'm like, yeah, me too. But that's not really what it is. So uh, that's just the first misunderstanding. It, it ain't about that at all. Uh, the second one, which th- this is real. This is probably something more close to home for all of us. Misunderstandings about heaven. Uh, a huge misunderstanding, which even in the church uh, has crept in over time that I've personally seen, and that is that heaven is the end goal. So we have, have grown up, I believe, in a church age where we've been taught that heaven is the end goal, it's the end all, and Jesus is a means to get us there. So I, I remember being taught as a kid, you know, like, hey, do you want to go to heaven? Do you want to be in heaven? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, okay, you just got to ask Jesus into your heart. And so I was like, oh, okay. So I asked Jesus into my heart, and that's kind of it as far as Jesus. Jesus is more of a means to an end. I need Jesus in order to get to heaven. And really, if we think this way, if we see Jesus as a means to an end, meaning we just need him so we can get to heaven, we've completely misunderstood what the gospel is as a whole. The gospel of what Jesus came to do, he didn't come so that he could just get us to heaven. Heaven isn't the end goal. He came for us again so that he could be in a relationship with us. So really the end goal is not, I I want to be in heaven. The end goal, again, what makes heaven heaven is that Jesus is there. If you got to heaven and it was everything you dreamed of and thought of, but there's no Jesus, then that's not heaven. But this is kind of what we've been taught in the church is that Jesus is, you just got to take him so that you can get to heaven. But that's not biblically founded at all. Christ is actually the center component of heaven. In Philippians chapter one, verse 21 through 23, Paul the apostle wrote, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So Paul had a proper understanding of, of what heaven was all about. He said, when I die... And depart, my desire is to be with Christ, in the presence of Christ. And, and that's really what heaven is. Again, it's being in the presence of Christ. He said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. So again, Heaven is not the end goal. Jesus is not a means to get to heaven. Jesus is the end goal. And heaven is, again, where the presence of Jesus is. Jesus said, you might remember, to the thief on the cross in Luke chapter 23, verse 43, truly, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. And the emphasis in the original language is the me. You'll be with me, it's in paradise. But again, it's not, you're gonna be with me and you're gonna be in paradise. It's, you're gonna to be with me and that's what makes it paradise and so really in heaven all the joy that we experience all joys are what I would call derivative joys all the joys of heaven derive from and come from the person of Jesus. He is the fount of joy. He is the supreme joy from which all other joys flow. Now don't get me wrong heaven isn't just what, what some people might picture, you know, just one eternal giant worship session where we just sing songs. Man, heaven is going to be a lot more earth-like than we understand. There's a new heaven and a new earth, and we will dwell with God on the earth. So in heaven, it's not like we're, we're doing nothing. It's not like one giant church service. We are going to just know each other and have relationships and create and do things. But all the joys that we experience of heaven, they derive from, they come from the, the person of Jesus. So again, without Jesus being there, it wouldn't be joyful. It wouldn't be something that we're able to experience. It's it's kind of like marriage. Uh, There's a lot of things in marriage where joy comes from those or even a close relationship. Maybe you have a best friend or or, or a loved family member you're so close with. And it's like when you're with them, you really would do, you, you could do things that you naturally might not enjoy, but it's because you're with those people who you love, who you're so close with that just makes it so amazing. And that's really what heaven's going to be like. It's going to be full of so much joy that we can't even comprehend right now. Like we have ideas in our head of, man, I can't wait to do this in heaven and can't wait to try this. And honestly, all the things that we hope are in heaven, I hate to say it, they probably won't be there because the things in heaven are actually going to be greater than what our minds can understand. Like I remember being a kid, dude, I can't wait to fly. And like all these things I think would be the best. Dude, it's going to be so much better than what we can even think of right now. So uh, just to blow your mind, like that's how big God is. He's like, you're thinking it's going to be this. I got something way better planned. So it's amazing. But again, all the joy and experiences and relationships that we experience in heaven, the joy of that, again, it comes from Jesus. He's the fountain from which everything in heaven that we enjoy, it all comes from him. And again, it's just a bummer that in the church, we've bought this idea that, you know, Jesus is just, you ask him into your heart and we just look forward to heaven, but we separated the idea of Jesus from heaven, which is not a biblical concept at all. So uh, number three, a third misunderstanding about heaven. Um, This is a huge one as well. 
Heaven, again, misunderstanding. Heaven is a place where we're floating around as disembodied spirits. Some people have separated the idea uh, of really what we call uh, the physical or the material and the immaterial. And what happens at death is, yes, your, your spirit, your soul will be separated from your body. But we have, we've created this idea that in heaven, we're just kind of like these spirits, you know, like floating around on, on clouds and stuff like that. And we've separated the physical, which was a, a heresy in the early days that all physical, all material is evil, all spiritual is good. And so there was a sect of people who tried to say that there could be nothing physical or tangible or material in heaven. And yet we don't see that in scripture at all. In fact, we see the exact opposite in Jesus himself coming as a human in bodily form and raising from the dead in bodily form was the evidence that in heaven, we are going to be fully human. We're going to have human bodies. Listen to this. Job 19 verse 25 through 27 says, Job writes, for I know that my redeemer lives and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and and not another. So Job understood, man, in my flesh, with my very eyes, I I will see God in in an eternal and resurrected state. And I want you to see really where this theology comes from, uh, probably the most foundational in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So flip over there just real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, here we see uh, just a really foundational text for the bodily resurrection, which a lot of people have separated from the idea of heaven. We've kind of believed that you just kind of float up there as a spirit or as a soul, and you're just kind of floating around on clouds, but that is not at all uh, biblically grounded. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I want you to look down at verse 20. Paul the apostle writes this, but in fact... Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So Christ, again, when he rose from the dead, he rose in bodily form. And it says that he's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, which is a metaphor of death, meaning uh, that as we die bodily, we so too will be raised bodily. Verse 21, for as by a man uh, came death, that was Adam, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead, Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So at Jesus' second coming, those who belong to Christ will be raised in bodily form just as Christ himself was. Look at verse 42, skip down. He says, so is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown, that's our natural birth, is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, our bodies. It's raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body. There also is a spiritual body. So when Christ comes back and and when we ascend, we will be given a brand new body, a spiritual, physical, material body. Look at verse 50. He says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an 
and I at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For the perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality." When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? Uh, O O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? So uh, Paul's whole point here is, again, Jesus, at his resurrection, ascending in bodily form, was the first fruits of what will take place one day when he comes back for his bride. We are born with a mortal, material, physical body that one day will die, and yet what is sown perishable will be raised imperishable. We're going to receive in heaven brand new bodies. We're going to be fully human, and yet the bodies that we have in heaven will be without all the sin, without all the deterioration, without all the results that took place in the fall. We will be who we are now, yet who we were intended to be. So some people ask, you know, like in heaven, will we will we be, be able to see each other and recognize each other and know each other? And what I always say is, you're not going to be more stupid in heaven than you are on earth. So like if here on earth, I'm like, hey, what's up, Storm? Hey, what's up, Sean? Like, why in heaven would I not know who they are? Like, whoa, looks like I got dumber. Like, that, that's not how the kingdom works. You're going to be fully human. You're going to have a body uh, that it may not look exactly the same, but we're going to be able to know each other. Again, God created us for relationships. We're going to have that for all eternity. But again, this idea that in heaven we're just kind of floating disembodied spirits is not grounded at all in the scripture. Christ came and his body was broken and he raised him bodily form to give us an eternal body, which we, again, uh, we're going to be fully human. The new heavens and the new earth, it's going to be just like this, just without all the sin, without all the destruction, without brokenness, without sorrows. We're going to be a lot more uh, human-like than we really understand. We're going to have full bodies and be who God always created us to be. Fourthly, and, and I'll close with this, fourth misunderstanding about heaven. This is just huge to understand. Again, misunderstanding. Heaven is a place where good people go. This is probably the the biggest deceitful thing that I believe spiritual, the, the enemy, it's a spiritual battle, has planted into people's minds. That heaven is a place for good people. It's a place where good people go. And yet, the Bible actually teaches the exact opposite. I want you to turn real quickly, final passage, to Luke chapter uh, 18. Luke 18, I want you to see this parable here that that Jesus says. Luke chapter 18, it says, starting in verse 9, he also told them uh, this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Here's the parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, at this time, a Pharisee was a religious ruler. It was a person who who knew the law and kept the law and outwardly was the most moral good person that you could imagine. Tax collector, opposite end of the spectrum. They they were hated by people. They were unjust. They, They took more money than they were supposed to. And so they were really evil people. And so we have here this Pharisee. Oh man, he has everything together. Oh man, he keeps all the laws. He looks so perfect. And then we have this tax collector, both coming into the temple. It says in verse 11, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men 
extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. Here's his resume. You know, I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. So he stands in the temple and prays to God, you know, thank you that I'm so good. Thank you that I'm not an adulterer. Thank you that I'm not a tax collector. Thank you that, you know, on the outward, he's like, I'm a pretty good person. I'm tithing of all that I have. You know, I'm fasting twice a week. Well, pretty good resume. And then look at the guy in verse 13, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Verse 14 is huge. I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So here we see a, a, a morally good person who, who had checked all the boxes. I go to church, I tithe, I fast. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not killing people. I, I'm, I'm this good person. And he prays, God, thank you that I'm not that. Thank, thank you that I'm such a good person. Thank you that I'm, I'm so righteous and I'm so good. The other guy, this sinner, this, this person who had so many problems, who was so unjust, it says that he wouldn't even approach the temple. He, he beat his breast and looked up to heaven and said, God, be merciful towards me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man, not a good religious Pharisee, this man, the, the tax collector, the adulterer, the man with all the problems, this man, went down justified rather than the other. Justified is a judicial term. It means to to legally be declared righteous. God says, I declare this tax collector who who nobody would would want to be friends with, who had so many problems, who was so far from God. I declare this man righteous, not the good person, not the Pharisee. Why? Because he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The tax collector realized that he was not a good person. The tax collector realized that he had so many problems and that drove him to see the beauty of God's grace and of God's forgiveness and of God's mercy. And so heaven is not a place where good people go. It's a place where sinners go who have sought the mercy of Jesus like this man. It's a place where people go who realize they are broken, who realize that they are struggling, who realize that we can't be perfect and yet we come to Jesus and we realize that he is the only good person who ever inherited heaven. He is the good. And when we come to him and trust in his finished work and and trust in his righteousness, Jesus says, "I, I give that to you. I freely give that to you. He, Jesus, became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So heaven, it's not a place where good people go. It's a place where a good person went, Jesus. And when we now trust in his righteousness, despite all of our flaws and despite all of our failures, he says, you will be justified. It's trusting the finished righteousness of Jesus. Jesus himself said in John 14, verse six, man, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And a lot of people say, man, that seems so exclusive. Like, how how can Jesus say that? How can Jesus be the only way? Nobody can come to the Father except through him. That's too exclusive for me. Well, the reality is that's not exclusive. It's actually the most inclusive thing because when Jesus came, he came for everybody. He came for the tax collector. So the gospel isn't this exclusive, oh man, man, Jesus said, whoever would come to me, let, let him take up his cross and follow me. John 3, 16, which we all know, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in 
him will not perish but have eternal life. So the gospel, what Jesus came to do, it's not exclusive. It's so inclusive. It's for the people, which I'm going to talk about next week, who are the farthest from God. That's who he came for. And so that's the beauty of the gospel. That that's what makes heaven so beautiful is that people will be there who were so far from God, who, who were not good people, who were actually terrible people. And yet they realized that and said, you know what? I'm going to come to you, Jesus. I'm going to look to the cross where, where you went and where you died on behalf of my sin, where you took all that. And I'm just going to trust in that, man. That is the beauty of the gospel. That is the beauty that we're going to celebrate for all eternity in heaven. There's going to be echoes and remnants of the gospel forever. We're going to understand the fullness of what Jesus really came and did on our behalf by going to the cross and dying for us. And we're going to experience and know tangibly that love and learn of that for all eternity in heaven, which is going to be such an amazing thing. Amen. Amen.